I'm Stacey Lee Sherwood from Reality Checks with Stacey Lee, coming to you on All About Animals Radio. Now, if you think animal issues are just about animals, well, no, they also involve politics and economics, so they affect all of us. So I hope today you learn a little something, maybe be motivated to act and enjoy the show. So with that, my guest today is Jack Geshard, founder of Tree Spirit Project and consultant to a fabulous nonprofit in defense of animals. So welcome, Jack. Thank you, Stacey Lee. Great to be here. So let's start with how you first got involved with the rare Thule elk at the Point Reyes National Seashore. Sure. Um, it was actually, I credit uh, an independent documentary filmmaker uh, named Skyler Thomas, who made a 90-minute documentary that I saw at a vegan meetup group when I was first delving into that world in San Francisco. I live just north of the city called The Shame of Point Reyes. And in 90 minutes, well, really in about 20 minutes, it was like, I can't believe this. I've been driving in and out of this park for the t uh, 18, 20 years that I've been living in the Bay Area, originally from New York. And I learned about what's happening with Thule elk and how they are being outnumbered about nine or 10 to one by cows. And that the the nice little organic dairy farms that I thought, well, I didn't know what to think of them. Frankly, when you drive into Point Reyes, this pretty well-known national park unit here, just north of San Francisco, was a mix of cows and elk. And I didn't get that the cows were commercial enterprises. They were supposed to not be in the park as long as they had been and that the elk were not just suffering, but dying as a result of competing with the industry. So I was aghast. It was really clear after the full 90 minutes of that film, The Shame of Point Reyes, and you can Google that and see it on YouTube for free these days, um, on YouTube, and I, I was just incensed. So I started getting involved, and then about two years into that effort, um, I came alongside in defense of animals activists working on the same issue we got along and then I, I've been doing consulting work with them as well. It's great to work with an animal rights group that they have deep roots in animal rights issues, not just Thule Elk and we collaborate together and I do my own stuff as well. Yeah, they they really are a good a good group to uh, to work with. So now for people who are not familiar with what is going on out in California with the, with the elk at this national seashore, um, can you talk about the problems the elk are facing and how these dairy ranchers, which, as you said, are really not supposed to be in a national park, are impacting their survival and even what kind of impact these dairy cows have on the ecosystem? Sure. And it's tricky to summarize because it's easy to get dragged down the, uh, the rabbit holes. We will eventually go here in this longer talk. And I appreciate the platform for it. And I hope, uh, well, <laughs> if you want to listen to all this, it's it's pretty amazing. And what's going on at Point Reyes, as I say, is a microcosm for a larger issue that you wouldn't know about unless you're an animal rights person or you happen to read about the cattle industry. Right. But it's basically a commercial enterprise, for-profit enterprise. You know, it's America. We have for-profit enterprises called the cattle industry, which is beef and dairy production that have staked a claim in this park because they were there for, gosh, well over 100 years, 150 years mm -hmm. legally you know, ethically and all that part of our culture. But then a deal was cut in 1962, where over the course of the next 25 years, by 1987, the federal government purchased the land that the beef and dairy ranches were on at what became Point Reyes National Seashore. And the broker deal was they would exit after 25 years. They would retire. They were given millions of dollars. In today's money, it's the equivalent of about $350 million to, I think it's about 14 families that had been there traditionally, 
But then as that time neared through the 80s, they did what, you know, businesses are going to do, which is, well, we don't want to leave. We're getting a great land deal here. They had leased the land back after selling it to the government to make the park. And then they just pressured politicians because the cattle industry has a lot of political muscle. And then they start rewriting the narrative, too, as industries do, whether it's fossil fuels or, in this case, the cattle industry, saying, well, no, we're historic stewards of the land, blah, 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 regenerative ranching, blah, 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 blah. And just, in effect, have taken the money and then don't leave. And to the point of Tule Elk, the result of their staying is an entire one-third of the entire 71,000 acres of national seashore is relegated to cattle. And only 2,600 versus 71,000 acres the entire park, or 28,000 acres a third for cattle, only 2,600 acres, a tiny amount by comparison, is set aside at the Tamales Point, the northernmost part of Point Reyes Seashore, as the Tamales Point Tule Elk Reserve. And that name is taken on Orwellian connotations because it's the opposite of a reserve or a preserve. It is an area that is increasingly drier with the climate crisis, ironically brought on in part because of cattle. Right, that's exactly. And <clears throat> that's been in the news in the last two, three years about the obviously perennial drought and heating climate. And then the elk in this area of the park, there are actually elk in other areas of the park too, but that's the largest herd. So that's what we're focused on for the moment right. in the Tule Elk Reserve are suffering and dying because they're fenced onto this section of land, not allowed to go into the entire park of 71,000 acres trapped behind an eight foot tall fence that extends three miles across the tip of the peninsula, locking them inside this piece of land, which is drought stricken. So in the um, increasingly drought stricken summers, elk can't travel south into other areas of the park to get more food and water, food being forage, vegetation, because the ranchers don't want them there. And the ranchers control the narrative in the park. They control the business in the park. The park service has become the proxy of the cattle industry, which basically is making the rules, which is elk are staying locked in, tough darts on them. They falsely claim it's a natural population decline. When elk trapped into a large zoo-like enclosure, we activists call it, because that's what it is in effect, right. suffer, die of thirst. It's a slow, excruciating death or lack of food. And we can take it from there. But, but that's the issue. Cattle rule the roost. My point raised national seashore and the park service is enslaved to the cattle industry. And I also wanted to bring up something. I know that there were multiple lawsuits and just for people listening who might not be aware, um, the department of, I call it department of injustice, the DOJ was actually in court defending the national park services actions against these rare truly elk. Is that correct? Yes, there is one. Yeah. There are two lawsuits currently. Um, one of them is <laughs> uh, my my father would appreciate this. Um, not an activist per se, but certainly an artist and a sense of humor and mm -hmm. an animal lover. Gescheit, my last name, Gescheit versus Helen, <laughs> Secretary of Interior. I'm not the only plaintiff. I didn't initiate the lawsuit, but I'm one of four plaintiffs, three individuals and one animal rights organization um, that have filed suit against the federal government. In this case, the Department of Interior. Under the Department of Interior is the National Park Service. Deb Howland runs the Department of Interior, so the suit is Gescheit versus Howland. And that case was brought by the Harvard Law uh, Animal Policy. Oh, gosh, I'm getting the quote wrong. What is their official name? 
Harvard, Harvard Law Animal Clinic, I think, or Harvard some, Law something Animal like that. Policy. It's either center or program. Forgive or me. Or Law Clinic or something like that. But you like can that, Google. Yeah. You can Google Point Reyes <laughs> National Seashore Harvard uh, Law Suit. Harvard Lawsuit, and there is that one lawsuit, and that's specifically addressing the um, what I was describing, which is elk dying inside the so-called reserve, and the National Park Service certainly has responsibility to prioritize, to put it mildly, to care for tule elk and all wild animals in the park first and everything else second. And right now, commercial cattle operations are prioritized to the detriment, which is to say, fancy word for death, deaths of hundreds, literally hundreds of tule elk, over 425 is a conservative number by the Park Service's own count of the tule elk that have died in the last decade. And as the heat um, increases in the summers and drought increases, those numbers are going to continue to climb. Uh, very disturbing. And that's just one of two lawsuits. And I can tell you about the second lawsuit when you're ready. How And uh, how many elk are currently living, an approximation, currently living in the park today? About 500 in three different herds. And about half of those are in the largest herd inside the reserve. There are two other areas nearby where they actually Years ago, when the elk when the elk were brought in in 1978, it was I mean that's the irony. The Park Service was the hero. They brought elk in in 1978. Said, "Hey, we're gonna have a place to bring in elk," and they put them up at the Tomales Point, which wasn't as dry as it is today. And hey, great! They brought in I think it was 10 elk from Southern California, started the herd, um, and it was a success story. It bred to to the hundreds, and then they it was so successful they moved. Um, again, I forget the number. It was like 14 or 15, a small number of elk to another area um, called Muddy Hollow, which is south of the reserve in a greener, lusher area, a beautiful area to walk through, actually, not as well visited, not as easy to drive into. And then the herd, God bless wild animals. And it's a perfect example of the intelligence of wild animals and the relative stupidity of humankind. Who knew that they would swing across, swim across, that they could swim or would choose to swim across Drake Sestero and mm -hmm. established another herd, another area where elk are now at Drake's Beach, another area oh. in the park. So those would be two additional herds that are not fenced at Tomales Point, but are still constrained by nearby cattle operations. In any, wherever the elk are, they're not just free to go anywhere because if they intrude on a cattle operation, cattle operation calls the park service and says, hey, there's elk here, we don't want them there if they get to be a problem. And now there's a PR game because we activists recently one bit of good news in all this is activism works. In the last two to three years, there's been a group of activists. I'm just one of a community. In Defense of Animals is one of several groups have gotten involved in this issue mm -hmm. and made a big noise about it and gone in and done very dramatic demonstrations and got media attention and kind broadcasts like yours give us the microphone, inform the public. In this crazy world where there's lots of shades of gray, it's really a black and white clear issue. Let's see, should wild animals, including rare tule elk, there's only about 6,000 in the world, be free to wander inside a national park unit? Even hunters, as I like to say, me being a vegan activist, but even hunters would agree, yeah, well, we want them to run free and flourish in a national park. And then we can move them out somewhere and hunt them if they want to do that. But no one would say, yeah, inside a national park, wildlife should be fenced, their population artificially controlled, to benefit cattle ranches that are operating inside a national park? What's with that? It just reeks to high heaven. Now, I wanna ask a question. Um, 
and actually I want to, before we get to the second lawsuit and um, the, the park service, I just want to say that secretary Halland has turned out to be certainly in my opinion, and probably uh, a widely held opinion by anyone concerned with both the environment and wildlife, probably the worst secretary of interior we've ever had. Um, boy, I thought Gail Norton was bad. Uh, I, I thought, I thought uh, Salazar was bad, but she has turned out to be the worst Secretary of Interior um, for just about any animal. Of course, she's a rancher herself, so she sides with them, and that's also part of the problem. So I just want to, uh, I just want to get that in. So I did want to ask, what happens to these elk if they stray into, you know, the area where the dairy cows are? The ranchers call the Park Service. And then what happens to these elk? Uh, that's a simple question and a good one, but there's no one simple answer to it. It okay. depends which of the three areas the elk wander out of and then where they wander into. So as we activists or for that matter, tourists drive into the park, I mean, it's an amazing place. There's a free admission to Point Reyes National Seashore. It's a relatively little park mm -hmm. and you can drive in for free 24 seven and go get into parking lot of Tamawas Point at the northernmost part of Point Reyes Seashore and likely see tule elk either on your way in or from the parking lot. Hmm. It's, you know, like seeing, a, I don't know, Old Faithful Geyser from a parking lot. It's it's that kind of drive-in see tule elk, which is, is kind of a mixed blessing. I mean, it's great, and I wouldn't mind if that were so, as long as they also could wander and multiply and there could be more elk in the park and other areas where they were not confined and, of course, suffering. Nobody wants that. I just wanted to back up too. As far as Halland, I just wanted to make it, this is a political assessment. So it's not like I know any truth that you don't know. I'm very disappointed in her, as are you, of yeah. course. I, I just see the problem as bigger than any one Secretary of the Interior. I grew up, I'm old enough to remember James Watt. I remember James Watt under Reagan. <laughs> Gail Norton was his protege. I remember and, James. He wanted to dam up the Grand Canyon and use it for recreation. Yeah. So I go far enough back, like, you know, I'm becoming one of the old people like, well, I remember World War II and it was really bad. I remember the peace marches. So you think Trump is something, you know, blah, blah, blah. And the country's falling. Well, it was pretty tough during the 60s, too. And I was a little kid. Yeah. But Watts was a spokesman for big business and vociferously anti-wildlife. At least she isn't that. And I'm not happy about that. Right, and I'm right. very disappointed in her. But I realize the, the, the big villain of this piece is the cattle industry. Yeah. The cattle industry. And it's so powerful that it has the so-called democratic, somewhat democratic uh, Biden administration under its thumb as well. And if she spoke up, she should have decided, oh, the heck with it. I'm going to speak my conscience. And I'm a Native American and I believe in Native American rights and we should have this land restored and get the cattle industry out because they're polluting it with methane and huge amounts of manure and degrading the land. Regenerative ranching is BS. By the way, I'll say that a few times through this broadcast because it's it like, is. oh, yeah. isn't that a good thing? It isn't. And I've even got a web page up about it called Regenerative BS on my Tree Spirit Project site. And it's just, that's their pushback. That means we're having effect. You know, they start fighting you, as Gandhi would right. say. Ignore right. you, you're not being effective. So Deb Haaland, if she spoke up and did that, the Biden administration would, the, the cattle industry would scream at the Biden administration and she'd be outed. That would be it, or ousted, excuse me. That would be the end of it. Yeah. Not that she shouldn't do it. I would love that. It would become yeah, a great, she'd write a book and all that, but it hasn't happened and I'm not surprised. That's all. Yeah. So I'm sorry, what was your question? Yeah. <laughs> oh, the second, the second lawsuit. 
What, okay, second, yeah. second lawsuit was brought about a year after the first one. They are both ongoing, and that was brought by three environmental groups, Resource Renewal Institute, Western Watersheds Project, I know that okay. Center for Biological Diversity under Jeff Miller. The, right. The, the, okay. Think of those three. But there are three great organizations working for environmental rights and in some cases animal rights. True conservationists, I would say, before conservation was taken over by those who want to kill animals with herbicides and pesticides and all that stuff. Um and they are in negotiations now. And I still have a little bit of hope that some good might come from that, and that maybe Congressman Huffman. Uh, of California might help negotiations along and encourage the cattle industry to at least agree to gradually get out of Point Reyes Seashore. It's possible. Lawsuits help. They apply political pressure along with, you know, what, what citizens can do and what activists can do and getting all this moving. So yeah, that's the second. And they're focused, I'm sorry, on the environmental concerns, more demonstrating um, the massive land degradation and water pollution right. and of course air pollution with methane of the approximately 4,500, 5,000 cows in the park, compare that with about 500 elk. So for every one wild tule elk in the park, there are non, there are nine, excuse me, cows, which are in there purely to make money. They right. eat grass off the land. They have to truck in more seed and more water because Cows eat a lot. They're big animals, two to three times the size of any elk in the park. And they're an extractive industry, as the great Ken Brower, an environmentalist and author and a mentor of mine, has taught me. They're an extractive industry, completely different from how elk are on the land. Even if you rotate them around in their little paddocks and their so-called rotational grazing, which is part of the regenerative BS public relations pushback. And also the elk are indigenous and the cow is not, just like the wild horse and the wolf and the bison. And so when our wildlife is being pushed to the brink for, you know, a non-native species, uh, that impacts everything. There was a hearing last year by the California Coastal Commission. Uh, I know that you attended, I attended it myself. Um, would you like to shed some light on what <clears throat> transpired at that, I'll call it a hearing for lack of a better word, um, where the public was allowed to very briefly give more than just their names? You want to talk about that? Yeah, well, we, should, we should do a rat-a-tat-tat back and forth on this, <laughs> just peck at it, because, you know, I'm glad that there are so-called public meetings, which have, you know, of course, yes. been diminished and yeah. changed radically with Zoom and the whole culture going online, yeah. which... It's yeah. not like I'm against it. I mean, like right now, you and I are talking from, you know, miles apart and you can have these great meetings and lots of people can weigh in from around the country for, in this case, a national park issue, um, National Seashore, where people come and visit Point Reyes from everywhere and a California-wide issue. So you're not going to, even if you could have a public meeting during the pandemic or now after the pandemic, what do you get, 100, 200 people in the room? Whereas on Zoom, you can have a thousand people yeah. attend in theory. Yeah, so that's great. But as you were, we were discussing this beforehand, Originally, it was five minutes. You said, I don't go that far back. I remember when it was three minutes. <laughs> and then they cut it to two minutes. And then if a lot of people show up for a meeting, they're allowed within the rules. Is it legal? Yeah. Is it ethical? No. Is it democratic? Not particularly. They cut it to one minute comment. And in one minute, it just becomes a dog and pony show where you just say something. I'm Jack. I'm really upset. Blah, blah, blah. Oh, time's up. Bye. Thank you. Next. 
Exactly. It's, it's just, in my opinion, and I've, I again, I, I am old enough to have been involved in in-person meetings before Zoom. Before Me too. Zoom. Me too. <laughs> and I went to in-person meetings in the Bay Area, and sometimes there were 100 people in the room or 150 people, and the meeting went till one in the morning. Wow. And nobody nobody will do that anymore. Nobody cares well, like that anymore. You know, yeah. to be fair, the public officials, <laughs> are not, the commissioners certainly are not paid much. Right. And they work huge hours and they work many issues. I, I do have compassion for their situation, but at a certain point, it's like tough darts guy. You took a job, you're still getting paid a hundred grand or 120 grand or 90 grand or whatever. It's a decent salary these days. And you got to put in the hours, it's public service. And we, the people have to be heard somewhere. So I'm pissed at the system. It, it's, it's a complicated fix other than I would say is we should be given at minimum three minutes. And if a hundred people show up and that's 300 minutes, tough. I mean, that's democracy. It's messy and long and it has to be that. And if you just keep cutting it down because of, oh, for time, it just, it's absurd. There's no more democracy, which we're seeing the whittling away of now for other reasons. Yeah. And, and as we, we talked before, uh, before the show, um, even though we're both New Yorkers uh, and we can talk and we can talk fast, uh, you lady. can't, you can't, you can't get, you can't get very much in, in 60 seconds. And, and certainly if you had anything of any kind of detail or any kind of like backstory, you can't, you can't possibly. So it really is kind of like a dog and pony show. And you would think that the California Coastal Commission, you know, just by their title would be more concerned with the, with the coast. And as you mentioned, the, the water, you want to talk a little bit about the quality of the water at this seashore? Yes, remind me of that, would you, on your notes there, because I'm not taking notes, but the Coastal Commission meeting, what happened was they did the, um, what I call the, I don't know, I, I've got to come up with a better name for it. I haven't taken the time to come up with some marketing title for it, but it's the, <laughs> the BS Coastal Commission two-step, where yeah. they say, well, we don't want to do this. We don't want to do this. They don't let the public weigh in. They have so-called experts advising the commission, but they don't allow so-called experts on the activist side counter the BS spewing from the so-called experts who are all in with approving whatever the crazy plan is. Cockamamie, right. we would say, right? Right. Cockamamie, yeah. Right. We're going to clean it up. They've been polluting the seashore for 20, 30 years. Yeah, we know that. But they promise to do better. So as long as they promise, it's like, who would sit for that nonsense? They've been polluting for 20, 30 years. So you give them a free pass. And not only that, but you give what was called a conditional concurrence. We'll let you move ahead with this plan to keep cattle in there for another 25 years, ignoring the testimony that says they were paid money and didn't leave. And they're the number one source of, as I say, land degradation, water pollution, air pollution in the park. Why on earth would you let them stay? What possible legitimate argument for that can there be? So they gave a conditional concurrence and that's the first step of the two-step. The second step is then when you have the second meeting where the agency, the park services, comes in and says, yeah, we worked it out. The ranchers agreed to the terms. No discussion. No revote. No public input again. We're terrified. They're just going to say, okay, they came in. They, they, they made the concurrence. We're going ahead. So it's sort of like, you know, don't worry about that. Trust us for later is the first step. And then when later comes to say, well, we already settled this. We gave a concurrence. And that is a very... It's it's fitting for Mitch McConnell, let's put it that way, someone who knows how to play the game brilliantly to legal but unethical effect. So that meeting is, uh, gosh, when is the CCC meeting? I should know that off the top of my head. I'm sorry. I think it's later this year in the fall. 
I'm sorry, I can come up with that if we need it, but when that when they will come back and say, and then we activists are like hair trigger ready to jump all over that and make a huge stink in the media and on that meeting and invite people to participate and scream and yell, because there are a couple of commissioners who actually are uh, sympathetic, mm -hmm. I would say, to the plight of the elk and rational. Uh, anyone who's, it just, it's such a clear cut issue. That's why I'm so fired up about it. It's not one of those like, well, I don't know, how do you, how do you cut fossil, fossil fuels when we're driving so many cars and people, not everybody can afford a Tesla or a Chevy Volt or whatever, but having cattle grazed in a national park while subsidized heavily by the public, heavily subsidized by the public, the cost of meat and milk in the nation is heavily subsidized. It would be three times as much instead of the subsidies going to, you know, vegetable replacements, plant-based uh, replacements that don't destroy <laughs> our our environment you know what we need to live on and breathe in it's just it's crazy making it it is and a lot of a lot of the public uh i mean i don't know what people are doing on the internet well i know what people are doing on the internet they're not they're not researching what's in their food supply i can tell you that because even in 2023 for god's sakes 2023 i've been at this since the 1980s people still don't know what's in their food supply and they don't seem to to grasp or they don't seem to want to grasp uh how all of this grazing with these cows on public lands like permanently damages the land and the water and it's not just some stream in a national park you know all that water eventually flows into your water supply so you are drinking all of that too your produce is grown in all of that contamination so this isn't like an isolated issue it's not something that's just contained um, and it's and a lot of people are quite surprised that grazing uh, is done on public lands for like for for pennies on the dollar, uh, and and in particular in like national parks, uh, the National Park Service has kind of a sketchy history. Originally, when they were first formed, they were the first of like the public agencies, and when they were first formed. They basically, the park rangers were kind of like hunters and they would kind of go into the national parks and kind of clean it out of all the predators to make it more, you know, kind of safe for humans and the, and the herbivores, which obviously did not scare people. And then they kind of switched to where they were actually more of a conservation kind of agency, protecting our native wildlife um, species would go on the endangered list and there would be some sort of conservation program. And then they switched back uh, to what they had been originally, though I think they, they're they going even worse than what they had originally were, um, where they are allowing not just, I think they're actually expanding, allowing uh, cattle to graze in national parks, but they are allowing hunting of native wildlife in national parks. A lot of people don't know this, but uh, the National Park Service has sanctioned at least three or four years ago uh, hunting of wild animals like uh, the mountain goats, which could have been transported to Oregon, but Park Service chose not to, um, and bison, um, you know, which is kind of the epitome of irony because the bison is on the logo of the National Park Service, and yet they're allowing them to be hunted by out outside hunters. Um, they don't need to be called. They're not sick. They're not endangering anyone. This is all just... BS, you know, um, cowing to the hunting industry and the ag industry, but they do allow outside hunters to come in. They don't close the park, so tourists are there when this is going on, uh, and they shoot moving animals 
that are not penned in. This is the National Park Service. So it probably shouldn't come as a surprise that they are doing this to the elk. Um, so I have, a quiz, I have a spot quiz for the audience. Yes. Quiz. Ready? Uh -oh. <laughs> this, is a, this, is a, this is a five or six part question. I'll, I'm not sure how many parts it's going to be, but I want an answer for each of these. And mm -hmm. pay attention. It's a trick question. Uh -oh. <laughs> why are they allowing the hunting of mountain goats? I assume you're referring to Grand Tetons. First question. Second, why are they allowing tule elk to be fenced at Point Reyes? Third question, why are they allowing bison to be shot and killed by the over a thousand recently in Yellowstone? Fourth question, pay attention, folks. There's going to be an answer at the end of this for you guys to answer. Why do they allow the shooting of wolves in across the West in many areas? And let's see, Stacy. Any others? Any other uh, animal species? Mountain lions are not targeted so often. Oh they, well, actually, uh, one of the oh, conditions. Coyotes, coyotes, coyotes. Oh my and, god. And and also elk in um, what is the park right outside of Yellowstone National Park? Grand a uh, Grand Teton. Grand Teton. When Grand Teton was formed as a national park, the concession that the federal government made to allow this beautiful area to be made a national park was to allow. Wait for it. Hunting of elk inside the park that might so have the been question the is one. so the question is audience why what's why? the answer why would that be allowed and i'll get it's a three i'll give you a hint it's a three letter or four letter answer depending on whether it's singular or plural how cows or cattle if you prefer all of those animals are killed hunted uh confined decimated the populations all for the cattle industry so so this is um for later on at the end of the show, it's like what you could do, how you can get involved. In case people don't last that long, I just want to say you can make a difference today, easily, in case you're listening to this. And it's I'm just thinking of somebody who's listening to this for the first time and it's really upsetting. And I don't want to hear another 20 minutes of these people going, getting me really upset about how bad it is. There's something you can do. And it's just eat less cow products, eat less beef, drink less dairy or cheese. You don't even have to go as I like to say, go vegan and travel, you know, to the fifth brightest star in the sky, Vega, to become a vegan. Just eat less of these products and, and you immediately reduce the market for it. That That's how empowered we are as consumers in this crazy consumer society. It is. What, what, what and how you spend your money says to everybody, not just, not just the companies making the products, but it says it to the media that reports on the news, whether or not they're going to pick up a story, the government, what they're going to subsidize, and the public in general, whether or not they're going to tolerate something, um, what you prioritize. Um, and clearly, I can't think of anything that's not more important than your food supply and your drinking water. So, you know, like I said at the beginning, animal issues are not just about animals. They really impact everyone's economics and politics in ways that people don't even, even understand. So this has been going on with the elk for decades. Uh, obviously, this this I'll just say abuse abuse of them. What do you think? What do you what do you what do you see as the future for the for the elk? Uh, I'm trying to find some kind of positive good news in yeah, yeah, all no, of so this. I, I'm I'm oddly, if there if there is any, you know. No, no, there is. I'm oddly optimistic. I mean, for fighting the cattle industry, that's a much bigger fight. And until the public starts shifting on that, until we get to say, there's a guy named Will Tuttle, who's another teacher of mine, who says sort of like 17% is his number of like when there's a turning point, you know, when enough people shift that it starts to begin to infect the, the public consciousness. We're not there yet. 
but certainly, you know, veganism, that whole movement is growing, even if that's a strange or dirty word to you, uh, just becoming more aware of the effect of cattle, the cattle industry on the planet. But at Point Reyes, it's a much smaller issue in an educated area of the Bay Area, environmentally conscious people. Like me, I was into my 50s before I was willing to um, look at the truth of why not even the elk were there, but the story about the cattle industry, which is the story of Point Reyes. So in this case, it's a national park. We have, we activists as a collective and a lot of citizens, thousands of people, like the thousands of new people, hopefully listening to this podcast, can make a difference by just speaking up with friends and neighbors and talking about this stuff. You can turn on MSNBC and they're not gonna touch the cattle industry. They'll go on another story about Trump, which is certainly important for obvious reasons, but the cattle industry, the cattle industry, the cattle industry, fouling the atmosphere, pumping out more greenhouse gases into the atmosphere globally, not just in America, but certainly here as well, than the entire transportation sector. And if that's a new term to you, that means all the world's, think about that, all the world's cars, planes, trucks, buses, mm-hmm. motorcycles, mm-hmm. jitneys. Did I say planes? I sure did. But think about that. All of those combined, the emissions from all those don't equal the amount of emissions coming out of the mostly the front end, but also the back end of cows around right. the world. Right. I mean, that's just to take that in, to really accept that is like accepting Heisenberg's uncertainty principle, that there is no there there. It's just we are electrons moving around with predictabilities about where we might be. We're not solid material like Oh, now, oh, this guy's this guy, Jack, is crazy. No wonder he's got that crazy last name no one can pronounce. <laughs> but as far as cows goes, th- that's a, uh, I was listening to some commentary, that's a known and known. <laughs> like, it's not, or hidden in plain sight. That's just simple stuff. Where cows produce methane, they degrade the soil, they pollute the land with manure and fecal bacteria just to make yummy, tasty beef products. I grew up on, we all, we all grew up on. If you're willing to back off some of that, you can do something today. I just, I stay back to, I keep returning to that optimistic note. You as a consumer can make a difference today, to quote Captain Kirk, just for today. You cannot be a killer just for today. <laughs> it is hard for people to grasp how cows, and they do have sweet faces, I get that. But it is hard for people to grasp how cows can somehow be a greater threat to our drinking water and food supply and the land that we grow our food on than, you know, when you're riding, driving behind a bus with the exhaust pipe, you know, or a plane with all, with all of that. But it really, it really is true. Um, and it's not a secret. It's been known for quite a long time. Um, it's just that people, you know, people can, they can give up certain things like, okay, so I won't fly in a plane. Maybe I'll, I'll, I'll drive, you know, instead, or maybe we'll carpool or, you know, things of that nature. But when it comes to food, that's like the last holdout, you know, pe- people will give up a-, a ton of other things, but it's like, I, you know, I don't want to give up my steak. I don't want to give up that. And they just don't, I, I think they just don't want to grasp or, or acknowledge, acknowledge the truth. I did want to ask you, uh, because I know that you were involved uh, and this might have occurred more than once, but there were actually volunteers that were bringing water to the elk during some of the droughts you had mentioned earlier. Yeah, yeah. I mean, ironically, when it's worst for the elk, when there's a, a, a demonstrable in the news, real severe drought in California, which is still here, by the way. It's it's not at the moment, 
but it's it's inevitable to return, whether it's this summer right. or autumn right. or next summer, next autumn. Summers are getting hotter and drier on average. Exactly. Um, yeah. That's going to happen. The elk are going to suffer. The land is going to suffer. Um, so during that time, I was, again, with a group of activists, I'm also a photographer. So the, the ponds, the few ponds that are remnants of cattle ponds before it was converted to the national park had water in them. And then in the summer, they dried up and there were elk dying and there was more bodies being found. Photographers documenting that who were activists, citizen activists. Uh, so we could use that uh, horrible suffering of elk and dying of elk and rotting corpses to show people and say, look, we're going to bring water in and put water in these ponds. It's kind of a futile gesture. We can't bring enough water. It's incredibly heavy. We don't have permission to do it. It wasn't technically breaking the law, but you're not supposed to, you know, bring things into a park. We figured, well, we're bringing in water. We'll we'll take the citation for that if it happens. I was cited a couple times, but didn't suffer any horrible injury. We were peaceful, cordial, respectful of the Park Service Rangers because they're not the villains of this piece. It's like blaming the, the cop on the beat for something that he's ordered to do. And there can be abuses by anybody in any system, of course. But in this case, we brought water in. It was very visual. It was easy for the average person to understand. Dying elk, emaciated elk with ribs showing. They're starving. We're going to bring water in. Are you with us? Yeah. And people came in. We had hundreds of people helping uh, six different times. I was involved in all six of those, I didn't organize the first one, but I became one of the league organizers for bringing water in five more times. It was very effective. Currently, oh, and then that's, by the way, again, another optimistic note. I search for them. I need them, too. Um, that's what pressured politically mm -hmm. and through the media, the Park Service, to say, oh, well, they don't really need water. They're not dying of thirst. It's because there's not enough rain to make adequate forage vegetation to give the elk the nutrition they need. So we'll install water tanks and water troughs, which they did. Okay. Never, never conceding the political, the, the practical point that the elk need water. They just right. said, well, they need it for the forage and we'll put them there as a modicum of, of care. And that was, of course, the result of, of pressure. And again, you don't admit when an activist group is successful because then that, it just, that just encourages the buggers. Right. Exactly. Well, I, I saw I saw the pictures and you see this big giant fence and then you see all these activists carrying up all this water. And it's kind of like. What must the Rangers be thinking? I mean, obviously, they're not going to tell you the truth, but if you could read their mind, what must they be thinking when they see this? I mean, clearly it is ass backwards what is going on. And yet. I guess none of the none of the rangers will really speak up, and of course the park service has kind of <clears throat> kind of we sold have, out to the to the ranchers too. But but those I'll, pictures are very powerful of the people bringing the water. I'll give a shout out to uh, Diana Oppenheim, who ran I think uh, forelk.org. When I first saw that documentary film Shame of Point Ray, she was in the room working mm -hmm. with Skyward Thomas to promulgate these issues. So I met her and she was very active for a couple of years and she's moved to take care of her mom and she's not as active in that right now. Um, she was a Thule Elk volunteer, excuse me, a volunteer in the park and she worked with Thule Elk and she she wanted to, as you said, suggested wisely, rightly, she, she spoke out about it in her spare time. She didn't mm -hmm. like wear a ranger suit and walk around talking about the elk, but she spoke about it and they said, stop doing that. And she said, no. I won't speak. I won't stop speaking the truth about these poor animals that I've come to love. Right. You know, when it's my own time. 
and posting on social media and stuff. So they let her go. They said, no, you can't. And she was volunteer of the year for, for the park because she's a hard worker. And they said, nope, you're out of here. So that's, of course, what would happen to any ranger who dared spoke up and was outspoken about the truth. They would at the very least be transferred, if not fired. That's why they don't speak up. So depending on your degree of judgment or impatience, you will think them villains. Or in my case, I choose to work with them. So I choose to be more political and diplomatic and say, I understand. As long as they're not screaming and yelling at me and resting me, which they're not, I'm cordial with them. I understand their situation. We do our activism in the park. And the, the trick is always to what's the current issue we can leverage with a dramatic action to get public attention and attract media. And that, that's an ongoing, you know, strategic talks, blah, 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 about how do you do that? Right now, there's no drought in California. We had a really wet, thank God, thank goodness, right. wet winter. And it's been a really cool spring. It's not summer till the 22nd, technically. And we still haven't had a big heat wave yet. So the elk are actually, their numbers have been diminished over the years. But currently, right now, there's no immediate crisis. There's just the ongoing low burn of these animals are still penned. Park, the park is still being polluted actively by dairy operations that have no business being there. They've been paid to leave. Um, you know, snafu is the military term, going back another generation from my father, situation normal all effed up and, and we do have um i think on the link the link you'll provide dying tuli elk video there was an activist in the park on a friday night in november who came upon something very unusual he walked out as he often did along the fence line and came upon an elk a big bull elk with a big full head of i was gonna say a head of hair <laughs> head of antlers lying on the ground, unable to get up, but not dead, and lifting his head, and in some sort of level of distress or pain, it's hard to tell. Wild animals don't show it the way humans do, and it's poignant and disturbing, and, you know, you want to put the animal out of his misery, but you don't know whether that's the right thing to do. Do you try to call the park service and get somebody out there to do something about that elk that's on the ground that can't get up? and is now scared as you approach to film and to sort of see what's happened and whether you can help that poor animal. N not emaciated, not bleeding, not shot. Uh, who knows what's going on there? Poison from something he ate or drank, impossible to tell. But it's it's just no one, no one, including the most heartless hunter, wants to see an animal suffering like that. It's just not something you can bear, and especially if you're an animal person. It's, it's heartbreaking. So... Where's there's a video story? of that animal and I there's a voiceover for it and um it's what's going to go on there it's a depiction of what happens with elk that are dying in there for reasons unknown including thirst and starvation and, and where 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 is this video where, where can people see I sent you a link I sent you a link to it it's on there YouTube. is a link okay yeah and I, in defense of animals has posted it in their uh Instagram and okay. Twitter feeds I know Instagram for sure um a anybody can reach out to me too, by the way, just directly at Jack G. That's my last initial, Jack G at IDAUSA.org or Jack at treespiritproject.org. Both those emails get to me, and I'm happy to communicate with anybody about this issue and send links. And you're going to be putting up a link to that as well. I will send you. Stacey. Yes. And you also sent a link for the Shame of Point Reyes. Uh, I haven't, but I will. I didn't know that would come up as a topic of conversation. Certainly, yes, I would. I would. I would be interested. So, um, before we end the show, is there any final thought that you would like to leave with listeners to motivate them to eat less beef, or get involved, or contact you? 
Uh, well, please do check the links, um, which Stacy Lee will post to both uh, indefensiveanimals.org uh, slash elk. Um, there is an action you can take, which is our Congressman Huffman here of the district, which encompasses the park, can still be pressed on. That's our current go-to if people want to write somebody and say, this is nonsense. I heard about this issue and I think elk should be freed in a national park and cattle operations should be out of a national park with Congressman Jared Huffman. But again, the link on the In Defense of Animals page will lead you there. Stacey Lee will provide those. My website is treespiritproject.com forward slash elk will lead you to my elk page. And I would go back to the bigger picture, which is, well, three things. Cattle, cattle, cattle. <laughs> right. So the thing you can do, here's the good news. The biggest thing you can do to save the planet, to probably improve your health, to do what your grandma said to do, which was eat your vegetables uh, and stop the slaughtering of wildlife in this country is to back off eating beef and eat especially Oddly enough, if you're new to this issue, eat a lot less dairy. Dairy cows actually have less more dairy. of a polluting effect, and it's a more brutal existence because you you make a cow pregnant against her will, take her baby away. That's how you get the cow's milk. And then the baby cows are sent off either to slaughter or to the veal industry. Right. A horrific fate. Or the females are then become the next layer of the next generation of cows that are used for their milk it's just it's turning a beautiful living sentient being cows are not the problem it's what humans do to them right into a slave from which we extract meat and milk for because it tastes good just because you know it's good on the palate it, it's <laughs> great when you when you get to the vegan world you sort of see things from a far back view and like wow this is crazy and i was completely oblivious to it because i mean i'm i'm gonna be 63 in a week and I didn't know any of that and I didn't want to know it. I have nothing but compassion for people who hear this stuff and just grimace or recoil in horror. I, I don't want to hear this. It's upsetting. I know. I get it. The good news is if you move toward it just a little bit and eat less meat, it's good for you. It's good for the planet. It's good for your mother, Earth. It doesn't take much effort. And there's tons of yummy other products out there to eat now that don't involve torturing animals. And the thing about the tule elk is that the longer that this goes on, it perpetuates uh, death and violence and abuse, not just to the elk, but also to the dairy cows. And it degrades our drinking water and land and food supply, which also is kind of uh, self-destructive to our own species. You would think people would care about that too. So this whole thing is just perpetuating de destruction and it's completely, completely unnecessary. So all of these links will be listed on this podcast that people want to get involved, and I hope that they do. So I hope that uh, listeners have enjoyed the show, and tune in next time. I cover many topics that you won't read about in the news, so there's a little something for everybody. Uh, I also encourage people to check out some of the other uh, podcasts on All About Animal Radio. They have some terrific shows that you will find interesting. And that is a wrap. Thank you very much, Jack, for being on the show. Thank you so much, Stacey. Very much appreciated.